You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Beverly Isla. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode will address a unique way of dealing with overpopulation of stray dogs. The initiative is being put together by an organization called 600 Million Dogs, which was created by the founder of the animal rights movement himself, Alex Pacheco. Alex is not only the co-founder of PETA, where he served as chairman of the board for 20 years, but he's been through so many hurdles throughout his advocacy of animals, and it's really amazing to read what he's been through. When we get back from these messages, we will hear from Alex Pacheco. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We have Alex Pacheco as our guest today, the father of the animal rights movement in the U.S. Thanks for taking some time today, Alex. It's an honor to have you here. Well, pleasure to meet you, Beverly. Yeah, I was reading your bio and I was floored at some of the things you did to save um, these animals. I mean, from having a huge laboratory shut down to dodging bullets, lighting up your own car on fire to prove a point. I mean, you need a documentary <laughs> on, your, on your own life. And there's so many milestone campaigns you're behind. It's too much to talk about today, obviously, but is there a more memorable one or a couple that you can share about? Well, I think one that I, one of the earliest ones that I remember the most was uh, in the 1970s being on the Sea Shepherd. And uh, it was actually, I was actually fortunate enough to be a crew member on the very, very first whale campaign by the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Most people mm-hmm. know Sea Shepherd now because they've had the, a TV show for years now called Whale Wars. Right. But um, back in the 1970s, the very first time the Sea Shepherd ever went out to protect whales, I was fortunate enough to be a crew member. We went across the Atlantic Ocean and um, just a, a 200-foot boat full of volunteers, and we chased down and uh, rammed the world's most infamous pirate whale-killing ship called the Sierra. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that was way back in the 70s. It's just, I'm just stunned at how long ago that was. The, one another reason I remember it so much is because I was later on, I was honored as crew member of the year for that campaign. So uh, that, a lot of fond memories going across the Atlantic Ocean with Captain Paul Watson and the crew of, of radicals. <laughs> wow. Did you say the word pirate? Did I hear correctly? Did you say pirates? Well, yeah, the, uh, the ship that we were after, they're technically referred to as pirates, pirate ships. And the reason why they're called pirate ships, it's sort of a legal, legal designation. All normal ships have to register with a country. 
and like, you know, you're an American ship or you're a British ship, and then you follow the laws of that country. But if you're a pirate ship, you just, you don't obey any laws. And the Sierra, this ship was the most infamous one, the most uh, notorious one, because they would kill, of all the whale killing ships in the world, they were the, you know, and there aren't huge numbers of them. So this one easily stood out because it would, most whale killing ships, when they find a, a family of whales, they'll just kill the larger whales and leave the rest um, right. to reproduce. But the Sierra would kill every single whale, just Jeez. massacre every whale. And so they, the ship was hated around all the environmentalists back in the 70s, you know, hated the, the Sierra because it was just despicable. So that's the ship that uh, Paul Watson, he was captain, Paul, Paul still is captain of, of the Sea Shepherd, the founder of the Sea Shepherd. And so he said, hey, let's go after him and uh, <laughs> chase him across the Atlantic Ocean and ram him and put him out of business. And since then, the Sea Shepherd, they have rammed and sunk about 15 whale killing ships. It's very impressive. They sell a, a long sleeve T-shirt, and down the arm of the T-shirt, it's got the names, and across the back of the shirt, it's got the names of the 15 whale-killing ships that the Sea Shepherd has sunk. <laughs> wow. Well, so at least I'm, you guys came proud. out of that alive. <laughs> I'm proud of that. I mean, I'm proud of being affiliated with the Sea Shepherd. And I did see you were involved with the uh, Spring Monkeys. Yes, the Summer Spring Monkey case in, uh, in the D Washington, D.C., Maryland area. That was the case that's really a lot of people attribute that case to being the birth of the animal rights movement in the United States because it's a cruelty case where for the first time in history an experimenter, an animal experimenter was arrested and charged with cruelty to animals. It had never happened before. And as a matter of fact, it has never happened since. And to put that in some perspective, it's estimated that about 100 million, 100 million animals are killed every year in laboratories in the U.S. So that's 100 million animals undergoing experiments and being killed, but no one, not a single animal has ever been classified as being inhumanely treated. And we know that's just mm -hmm. statistically impossible. So anyway, all these animals, all these experiments, all these experimenters, year after year after year, decade after decade, only once has one of those people involved in that ever been charged with cruelty. And that's, so this made front page news. It made the front page of the New York Times, the front page of the Washington Post. It was on all the national uh, TV networks, and it made animal protection a very serious matter because it posed our scientists against the government scientists. Mm. And the crux was, okay, the police have arrested this experimenter. It's not just the animal people saying, hey, that experimenter is cruel. No, the police, they raided the laboratory. See, I worked in the laboratory for four months undercover, and I right. collected and documented evidence of cruelty, took the evidence to the police. The police then got a search warrant, got an arrest warrant. They raided the laboratory. They confiscated the animals, and they then the state of Maryland then prosecuted the experimenter on cruelty charges. So it was very official, very mainstream, and uh, the case then, they had me testify before the U.S. Congress about the case and about federal legislation to try to help give some protection to these laboratory animals, because in the laboratories, it's terrible. They've, uh, there's this, the law is that if an animal's in an experiment, you need to give the animal uh, painkillers and food and water, right. unless, here's the loophole, unless the experiment says you're not to give the animal painkillers, food, or water. So it's just a gigantic, horrifying loophole, which Gosh. means anything under the, no matter how inhumane, it can legally be done, and it is legally done, to countless animals inside laboratories in our country. And there's just no law 
There's no such thing as cruelty to animals in a laboratory. It's, it's like the FBI saying that the mafia does not exist right. in the old days. Okay, we've got <laughs> the laws here that say there is no such thing as cruelty to animals in laboratories. By definition, it does not exist, which is just terrible. It just means that a lot of animals suffer terribly, and we, don't, we do not have a legal recourse to, to stop it. Well, good so for you for making that's, changes. That's why that case was so important. It really uh, put mm-hmm. animal rights on the map in a serious way. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing what you did. Now, I know you're not with PETA anymore, but there are people who wonder what's the discrepancy between animal rights movement and the no-kill movement. And, you know, there's a little bit of disagreement. Can you uh, maybe verify or um, expand on that a little bit? Well, I think the no-kill movement uh, is relatively new. So I know for my own edification, I should mention that what is the no-kill movement? And my understanding of the no-kill movement is that... uh, I can see when I started in animal work, there was no such thing as a no-kill movement. Never heard of it. So, but basically, it's the a movement to end, you know, rapidly end the killing of dogs and cats in shelters in the United States, which is really, in a lot of ways, it's not new at all. But um, right. it's taking much stronger position on the issue of killing dogs and cats. It takes a position that um, there shouldn't be any killing at all right now because we have homes for them. And yes. So that's, in a sense, the, the argument there. And on the other side, this it's well, we still have dog pounds overflowing with dogs and cats, and that's why they kill millions of them every year, millions of animals every year, because they're just overflowing. So anyway, I think, to me, there really isn't, shouldn't, should, there should not be a difference between animal rights and the, the no-kill movement, because I think it's uh, like two different religions arguing against each other, and fight. it's like, it's infighting. And in the old days, it's like a civil war going on inside the animal community. Right. And, uh, in the 70s and 80s, the Civil War was between the animal welfare belief and the animal rights belief. The two, those two clashed all the time. And that Civil War has sort of ended, and now the Civil War for the last five, ten years has been between the kill and the no-kill. And I think, uh, like last time, it's, it's so short-sighted. It's like you have two animal groups, and instead of working together, they're fighting each other. I they're fighting recently each other. noticed that. I was surprised. <laughs> so, so that's why it's, to me, it's terrible. They should stop fighting and they should just, yes. if anything, at least continue working without the fighting and, and better yet, work together. Yes, um, but, I agree. So I think there's, there really is no bonus, no proper difference between the two. I think they should not be fighting. And that's one of the things that is very exciting about the new project that I'm working on because this new this birth control project that I'm working on will permanently end this civil war, end the fight between the kill and the no kill, because it'll solve the problem. It'll solve the pro- the whole problem, the whole underlying problem to begin with. That would be an awesome initiative, <laughs> Alex. That would be awesome. Um, you know what? We're just going to cut to break really quick, and we're, we'll jump right back on. We're just going to go to break for our sponsors. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? 
Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika, Kate Abbott, and Petra Burke. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We are back talking with Alex Pacheco on how the overpopulation of stray dogs can be addressed. And just before the break, you did mention an initiative. And you know what? Let's just jump right into that. So tell us about your newest project, 600 Million Dogs. What inspired you to create that organization? I was shocked to find out that the number one cause of suffering and death for dogs in the whole world, the number one cause of suffering for dogs on the whole planet is overpopulation. It's just too many, too many of them. Right. That causes more suffering and more death than getting hit by cars or cruelty cases or dog fights. They're massive reproduction. They're breeding. They're uncontrolled breeding. Number one cause mm-hmm. of misery and death. Same thing for cats. The number one cause of misery, suffering, and death for cats on the whole planet is uncontrolled breeding. That leads to more suffering than anything else. So it just seems pretty crazy that, for example, it's like the cancer of the animal world. For humans, we all, most people fear cancer and we fear heart, heart attacks. If you're a dog or cat, you fear overpopulation. So it just seems so obvious that, look, it's just breeding. It's just birth control. We should be able to fix that. We've had birth control for human beings for 50 years, if not longer. For generations, humans have been taking birth control pills. And it works. It's very effective for people. So what we need to do is develop what we are doing. is we're developing what in simple terms is like a super birth control pill. And the idea is that it's not going to be a pill. Actually, it's going to come in food like a can of can of dog food. And it's for um, is it only for the females? There are a number of different formulas that we're working on. Some are for females. Some are for males. Some will probably work on both male and female. But in the, for the first next five years, there's going to be one for the females, one for the males. Okay. And then there's going to be one for dogs and then a different one for cats. And there's also two big arenas. There's the most important target audience are the strays, the stray dogs, the stray cats, the ones that are running loose. So okay. for this birth control food to work, there's two important things. One, it has to be edible. That's why we're making it in the form of food. It won't solve the global problem if, if it has to be injected, because to inject an animal, you have yes. to first capture the animal. So right. injections are not going to solve the global problem, because the main problem are all the millions and millions of animals who are running loose. So that's why the solution has to be in the form of edible food. And the other feature is that it has to last a long time. Uh-huh. The problem with the current birth control is that it only lasts one day, and you have to take the birth control every day. Every day, so right. That okay. obvious, yes. So obviously that will not solve the global dog and cat stray problem because you can't administer this to them every day. So basically, so we've identified over 100 different formulas and medicines and chemicals and elements and minerals, over 100 different formulas that cause birth control in either people and or in animals. There are already over 100 of them out there. Wow. Who are you working with behind this? Uh, we're doing it ourselves. We're a grassroots nonprofit, uh, and mm-hmm. we're just we're raising the money ourselves through $15 memberships. 
And then we, we use the money to hire our own scientists and how scientists carry out the work. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so what we have to do is to take these short-lasting edible birth control formulas and tweak them and convert them so that they last a long time. And a lot of time, or frequently, they'll last for a lifetime. To give you an example, one of them, one involves the ingredient zinc. And zinc okay. is like is the same thing as a mineral supplement that yes. you go and you buy at the grocery store. Exactly. Like a bottle of zinc, zinc pills. It's a supplement you take every day. Millions of people take zinc every day. So when you introduce zinc, for example, into the gonads of a male dog, gonads are the sex organs, into the testicles of a, a male dog, guess what? That dog becomes sterile. That dog yeah. will no longer be able to, will no longer be fertile. And all it takes is zinc into the testicle. So the thing is, how do you get it into the testicle? So those are the, that's where the challenges come in. But given a zinc, for example, it's been known for 30 years that it has this effect. And so, as I mentioned, there's over 100 of these different formulas and chemicals and things that, that work. Right. And we're raising the money to hire the scientists to zero in on the formulas that are closest to being able to make them last a lifetime and in a form that you can, where the dogs and cats can eat them. Right, right. So in the, in the United States, when we finally get our first formula finished, in the United States, it's going to require a prescription from a veterinarian. So, for example, most humane societies, many humane societies will have their in-house veterinarian. So that, say your local humane society, they have their veterinarian, their veterinarian would write out a prescription for this formula. And yes, then yeah. it would be, so it would be controlled by the veterinarian. Oh, and okay. the, the first the first formula that we're making, by the way, is called spay food. It's not ready yet, but we're designing this so that it'll be like a can of dog food. A dog will only have to eat it one time, and then the dog will be spayed. Not surgically spayed, but spayed by the food. So that's why we call it spay food. So in the U.S., a veterinarian will have to give a prescription for somebody to buy and use spay food on their animals. Right. Do you and, think that'll uh, slow down the administration, though, if, if it has to go through a vet? Yes, it will. Mm. <laughs> That's the United States. That's how the yeah. United States is. And, and every country is going to be different. In many countries, you can buy this type of stuff without a prescription and buy it over the counter. Right. And most of the countries where most of the suffering is most severe, it'll be available most likely over the counter. Like Mexico City. Mexico City has about as many stray dogs in, one, in that one city as the entire United States has. Gosh. <laughs> in, the, in the whole United States, about 4 million strays are captured and killed each year, ballpark. Mexico City has 3 million strays, almost the exact same number as the entire United States in one single city. In Miami, to give you a comparison of how bad the problem is in other countries, in Miami here in the U.S., they kill about 20,000 dogs a year. Per year, 20,000 killed in Miami, Florida. I live near there. I'm using it as an example. Mexico City, they kill 20,000 a month, every month. They kill the same amount as, as Miami kills in an entire year. So the problem is very severe. The overpopulation problem of dogs and cats is very severe in many other countries. And the killing methods are the worst. That's the, this is where it becomes horrifying because these are countries that are very poor and they don't have the money, the budgets to do things the way mm -hmm. we do things in the United right. States. Right. Here in the United States, we spend almost a billion dollars. That's B with a billion with a B like a baseball. Almost a billion dollars a year on animal control. That's controlling the populations of stray dogs and stray cats. And uh, in most countries, they don't have a billion dollars to spend on dogs and cats. And they yes. don't. So that's why they have gigantic numbers of 
stray dogs running all over because they're not spending they any, can't money, do any it. money on yeah. control. And then when they do spend money, they spend as little as possible. So when they do kill the animals, they kill them in the cheapest way possible. And that's Gosh. always the most inhumane. Yes. And the most inhumane way is poisoning. I mean, the most common way is poisoning. Yeah. And poisoning is so inhumane that it's, it's against the law in the United States to use poison to kill a dog or a cat. But in the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world, that's the m- most common way. So, mm-hmm. for example, in Mexico, you can go down to Mexico and you know how they will have street vendors, you know, kids on the street corners, uh, usually selling chiclets, selling gum, packs of gum, yeah. selling candy. Well, you will also find street vendors stand- standing on street corners in Mexico selling not gum, but packets of poison. Gosh. Poison specifically for stray dogs. So our goal is to get this spay food into these countries where it could be used instead of the poison. Yes, to that would be amazing. This thing, we are a nonprofit and we're doing all of this in a nonprofit fashion. Right. Because we want to keep spay food nonprofit. So, and keep it as mm, almost gotcha. free to, the, to okay. these poor countries so that they can use it instead of poison to stop the animals from reproducing. And here's the another, it's sad, but it's, it helps us in the long run. The sad thing is that the average lifespan of a stray dog is three years. A typical stray dog lives only three years, but then they die. Because they die from disease or starvation. So when we're solving the problem with spay food, that's really good. Because think of it this way. If you can throw out this, uh, well, not throw out, but if you could give the spay food, <laughs> feed the spay food to the stray dogs in Mexico City. Feed them spay food instead of feeding them poison. And if you did that for one to three years, or just say three years, to a huge extent, the problem is gone. Because all the dogs who are already here, they were going to die, they will die in their natural course in approximately three years. And if you've been feeding spay food to the ones who are alive, they are not reproducing anymore. Right. They'll so live you, longer. You, you, prevent the, you prevent them from producing and reproducing, and, uh, and they just die out whenever they die out. Right, um, right. That's our project. And we're having, the problem is we have to raise the money ourselves through $15 memberships. Right. What's the uh, website that people can go to, to uh, check it out? 600million.org. That's the short version. 600, 600 million. It's like 600, the word million, like 600, 600 million.org. Okay. Now, the dog food, some people will probably wonder is it, if the ingredients will be harmful, but you did mention like it would be more of a mimic to the natural vitamins and minerals that we have. Yes. And plus, here's something else that's very important. First of all, it's going to be used instead of poison. Second of all, Many of these ingredients are harmless, like zinc. And the other good thing is that usually side effects come about because you have to take it every day or take it very often. For example, normal birth control in people, it's taken every day. So it could be taken like 5,000 times over a course of uh, in a person's lifetime. So if you take any chemical 5,000 times, that really gives raises the chances that there are going to be negative side effects. Right. Now, this, things like spay food, we're designing it so that the planning and the distribution, it's in, the whole plan is to only give it out one time. At the most, by accident, two or three or four times. But, but never, <laughs> okay. you know, never, ever anything like normal birth control uh, frequency. Right. So that's another big reason. That's another big reason why it uh, is, when used as intended, as said with every product, when used as intended, it's safe. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yes, it's important. It's important. And, uh, you know, all the formulas that I'm aware of that other people that we're working on and that others might be working on, I have yet to see one that's, that's being worked on that is dangerous. 
because there's so many of them, potential formulas out there that there's no need to work on a dangerous one. There's a whole bunch that are not dangerous. Why hasn't someone come out with something like this yet? You know, I think, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing that's, um, to bring up. Uh, to my knowledge, 600million.org, we're the only group in the world that's working on this. <laughs> we're the only group in the world that's working on a permanent lasting edible birth control formula. It's pretty shocking if you ask me, but uh, I have yet to come across a legitimate reason for other, others not working on it. This could have been developed 20 years ago easily because we've had, for example, birth control dog food has existed since the 1970s. It was even made available. It was going to be sold on store shelves around the country. And the New York Times wrote a big article on this. Carnation, a billion-dollar company called Carnation, Car- oh, yes. Carnation Instant Milk. Yes. They make Mighty Dog dog food. Well, Carnation spent millions of dollars developing a product called Extra Care. Extra Care was a birth control dog food. And they held the news conference and announced to the New York Times that they have Extra Care birth control dog food in chicken flavor. They have it in uh, tuna. They got they, These are all the flavors we have, the dog birth control dog food. Uh, dog mm-hmm. birth control food, these flavors, and it's going to be on the shelves later this year. And that was about 30 years ago, and it never, ever saw the light of day. Huh. To me, I it's, wonder it's, why. Uh, it's, it's pretty mysterious. Um, yes. I think of it, it's like the oil industry and the gasoline industry, how they don't like electric cars, because oh. if everybody's driving an electric exactly. car, the whole <laughs> oil industry is going to be out of business. Right. Well... I think we have the same kind of situation here where if we develop spay food and all these stray dogs and cats, all they have to do is eat it once and the overpopulation problem crumbles, the problem goes away. So I'm afraid it appears as though that's the same situation. That's why, that's why this is, was not invented or developed 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I think it's also why 600million.org, why that's the only animal group, to my knowledge, in the whole world that's working on this. So good for you. And it's being done at a very grassroots level. We're uh, yes. very truly grassroots. Well, if there's anybody that will uh, <laughs> be able to challenge anyone that gets in your way from getting this out, it would definitely be you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you giving us the time and attention. If anyone listening would like to find out more, please give yes. us a call. Visit us on our website, 600million.org, and find out more. We'd be happy to uh, Most definitely. Thank everybody. you so much for your insight, Alex. And we are at the end of our time here. So thank you, Alex, again for joining today. And Mark Winter, our producer, for making the show possible. You can come join the Saber Pooch community at saberpooch.com. And again, the organization for Alex is 600million.org. Lastly, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me, Beverly at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, spread animal passion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.